Job chapter number one. We're going to begin reading in verse number one, and we'll read down through verse number five. Again, if you could follow along there in your copy of the Word of God, and if you don't happen to have a Bible, you see someone sitting near you with a a Bible, then we'd encourage you to look on with them uh, so that we can uh, see the words together here this morning. The Bible says in verse number one, there was a man in the land of us whose name was Job, and that man was perfect and upright, and one that feared God and eschewed evil. And there were born unto him seven sons and three daughters. His substance also was 7,000 sheep and 3,000 camels and 500 yoke of oxen and 500 she-asses and a very great household, so that this man was the greatest of all the men of the east. And his sons went and feasted in their houses every one his day and sent and called for their three sisters to eat and to drink with them. And it was so when the days of their feasting were gone about that Job sent and sanctified them and rose up early in the morning and offered burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, it may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus did Job continually. I'd like to preach to you a message that I've entitled this morning, Parenting Burdens. Parenting Burdens. I am well aware that This particular passage of Scripture does not specifically deal with a woman. In fact, the name of Job's wife or the name of these ten children that are identified here, the name of their mother is never specifically mentioned. But you understand that Job had a wife and these children had a mother. And together, I believe we discover some specific parenting burdens that in many respects, I believe that every parent deals with in a very real way. As far as we know, Job is one of the oldest characters in our Bible. Most believe that his life predated even the life of Abraham, who we begin to learn about in Genesis chapter number 11 and Genesis chapter number 12. And I, I, I point that out, I highlight that because I, I believe that it reveals the, that the characters of the Bible, regardless of when they lived, they, though they lived in much different cultures and times as, as we do, they're really not all that different than we are. I believe that some of the things that are highlighted and some of the things that are emphasized in this particular text, though Job lived thousands of years ago, are some of the same things that moms and dads are still burdened about today as it relates to their children and the well-being of their children. Job and his wife were blessed with ten children, seven sons and three daughters, we discover that with this great blessing of a, of a whole tribe in many respects of, of children comes some very, very tremendous burdens. Though Job lived in a very early period in the history of the world, we see really parenting burdens expressed in our text that are very similar to the burdens that are still carried by parents today. The word burden is given the de- definition of a load that which is born with labor or difficulty, that which is grievous, wearisome, or oppressive. I came across a quote that I felt in some respects properly expressed the burden of being a parent. And and I don't know the person who quoted this, but uh, they said this, they say, making the decision to have a child is momentous. It is to decide forever to have your heart go walking around outside of your body. Some of you, perhaps you're familiar with that 
uh, specific quote. Somebody else said this, there really are places in the heart you don't even know exist until you have a child. Raising children today, no doubt, is a challenge, just as it was in, in Job's day. And can I, just, can I just be real honest with you? A village is not required to raise a child. It's not required to raise a child, but I will say this, a village or a community can be of great value and assistance. And can I even take it a step further? The greatest village I know is the local church. If we're going to say that it takes a village to raise a child, which it doesn't, it takes a, it takes a, it takes a man and a woman who determine that they're going to raise their child in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. But if you want to buy into this idea of it taking a village to raise your child, I don't know of a better village than the Cleveland Baptist Church. I don't know of a better place where you could have your family and your children that will offer more value and more assistance to you as you raise your children. Uh, I I, want to say this, that in this community, in a community, in a village of a local church, you will find folks who will help you shoulder your parenting burdens through different vehicles such as prayer, godly advice and counsel, Uh, or specific example as they model the type of behavior that we're all aiming for in our children. And as we seek to strengthen our faith community and, and our faith fellowship, I believe that it is helpful to be reminded of the parenting burdens that weigh heavily on moms and dads today. You see, as you and I walked into the room today and we greeted those that we knew to be mothers and we wished them happy Mother's Day, most of them responded with a big smile, thank you so much. And probably for the most part, for most moms, today is a very special day. But make no mistake about it, there are some real burdens that come with raising children, with having a home and having a family. And just because we walk into church and we're dressed in our Sunday best and we have a smile on our face and we know all the right things to say doesn't necessarily negate the burdens that many, many folks are carrying. I want to highlight what I believe are three specific parenting burdens that I think are found very clearly in this passage of scripture. You'll find, if you'd like to follow along, there should be the notes there in your bulletin, and you can write in some of the points that are found there. I would say, number one, we discover in this text, first of all, the burden to provide. The burden to provide. You know, as we think about the realm or the idea of having children, there is a, there is a burden for us to provide for those children. I, I've talked to, I've talked to a lot of people and, and, and they've asked me a question like this. How do you, how do you know when you're ready to have a child? That's a trick question, I think. I'm pretty certain that that's a trick question. I, I don't know that anybody's ever really ready to have a child. Uh, I think that, that's somewhat of an over, overwhelming thing. I, I remember somebody telling me when we were expecting our first, they said, you're just, you know, we can't adequately prepare you for it, but it'll blow your mind. That same person said when we were expecting our second, you thought it was something having one. Just wait until you have a second to provide for and to care for. And then the third, they, they came to us when we were having our third, and they said, you've really done it now. <laughs> you and your wife are, are outnumbered. And, uh, and, and, and then, you know, the, the fourth came along and, and we had done what the Bible told us to do. The Bible says be fruitful and multiply. So the two of us had multiplied ourselves. We now had four and we thought we've done what God's given us to do. We're good to go from here on out. But, but, but the burden of, of, having a, of having a child, the burden of being a parent is the burden to provide. 
And I discovered that Job and his wife had, had, had provided several things for the children that God, the ten children that God had given to them. Number one, I believe that they had provided for their children the idea, the concept of biblical order in their home. They, they provided for their children the idea of biblical order in their home. Notice the Bible reveals to us about this man by the name of Job that, that he was a man of, of character or a man of integrity. The Bible says that in verse number one. It says about this parent, this man, that he, uh, his name was Job and, and that he was perfect and upright and one that feared God and eschewed evil. So we're told that Job's children were raised, they were raised by a parent who was perfect and upright. He was a, he was an individual that feared God and askew, that means to turn away from or depart from evil. And can I just, can I just say this, that every child needs parents like this. Every child needs a dad, needs a mom who will, uh, who will love God and who will fear God and, and who will turn away from, consistently turn away from evil in this world and in this life. Uh, too many, too many parents, they, they want this type of thing for their children. They want their children to fear God. They want their children to love God. They want their children to turn away from evil. But, but listen, that's, what, that's the goal they have for their children. But it's, it's not the same standard to which they will be willing to hold themselves. And that's a problem. You see, Job here was, uh, was real. He was sincere. He was authentic. The phrase perfect does not teach that Job was without sin. It just suggests that he was sincere, that he was complete, that he was finished, that he was a man of integrity in all the relations of life. He was a man of integrity as a businessman. He was a man of integrity as a husband. He was a man of integrity as a father. He was a man of character and integrity as a worshiper. And can I say that it is a heavy burden to be a man or woman of this kind of character. But as a parent, listen, it is our responsibility to provide our children with a, with a growing desire and development in this realm. Oh, it is vital if you, if you long to raise children who will fear God and who will honor God and who will be people of integrity and character in their lives, they must first see it out of you in the home. It's vital. The burden to provide biblical order in the home. We think of this idea of character, but notice, I think there's a second thing that is identified in this particular story of Job and his wife. Not only the biblical order in the home when it, as it relates to character and integrity, but how about biblical order in the home as it relates to marriage? As it relates to marriage. God gave clear instruction for marriage in his word. It's not at all confusing what God has given. In fact, the Bible tells us in Genesis chapter 2 and verse number 24, Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. So, so the teaching of Scripture is that you have, you have a union between one man and one woman who come together, who covenant their lives together, and those two, the Bible says, become one flesh. So you have one man, one woman, one husband, one wife. There's, there's, no, there's no plural elements that are given here in Genesis 2 and verse number 24. There, there's, it doesn't say, therefore shall man leave his father's mother and cleave unto his wives... Although, don't we find quite a bit of evidence of plural marriages throughout the scriptures? As far as we know, the first man to ever marry two women, 
was not a very bright man. His name, his name was Lamech, and he's identified to us in Genesis chapter 4 and verse number 19. Now, it's possible, it's possible that someone before him married two wives, but the Bible doesn't tell us that. But the Bible does tell us that about Lamech. Lamech's two wives were two women. Their names were Ada and Zillah. Ada and Zillah. Lamech, it's, it's interesting to me, he is a descendant of the, of the line of Cain who slew his brother in disobedience and rebellion to God. And if you study the line of Cain, you'll find that throughout that line, there is an element of rebellion towards God in many of the things that God has clearly commanded. So it, it shouldn't be all that much of a shock to, to, to see this Lamech who, who is, as he comes to a period in time in which he can marry, he, he understands, okay, here's what God has said. Here's what God did years ago in the lives of my, and by the way, his, his, uh, his great, great grandparents would have still been alive. Adam and Eve would have still been alive. Because the Bible tells us that after Lamech married Ada and Zillah, that Adam and Eve came together again and they had a son whose name was Seth. And from that line was a more godly line. But here is this man by the name of Lamech and he says, you know, I know what God has said and I see the order that has been uh, from, from, from the time that the dawn of creation, but I just think that I can do things differently. And so he does do things differently and he decides that he's gonna take two wives. He marries Ada and he marries Zillah. And can I tell you that, that, that from that point on, we discover many people, even godly men, who messed up in this area throughout Scripture. I'm talking, I'm talking about men like Abraham, Jacob, David, and Solomon. I, I think perhaps Solomon took the cake. The Bible reveals that he had 700 wives and 300 concubines. And we would all say 700 problems and 300 more problems and issues, right? Because that's just not what God has designed. God gives us very clearly in scripture the concept and the idea of order in the home. And order in the home, listen, order in the home begins with one man and one woman who come together and they, and they commit their lives to one another in marriage, let me, just, let me just say that that's becoming very unpopular in our culture and our society, but let me just go on record. The Bible has not changed. It is still God's plan before two people come together and experience and enjoy physical intimacy. It is still God's plan that they covenant their lives together in marriage. God hasn't changed his mind on that. And so you may, you may be sitting here and you may think of, well, I know of a, I know of a family in which they've, they've got some children and, and they're not husband and wife, but there's order in the home because there's a mother and there's a father in there. No, no, that, that doesn't constitute biblical order in the home. Biblical order in the home is when you have two people who come together and, and they commit their lives to one another first. They covenant their lives to one another in the biblical concept of marriage. That's biblical order in the home. And though Job, listen, though Job likely lived in a period of time in which there were many people that were flaunting their rebellion in the face of God with this idea, this concept of plural marriage, the Bible says in Job chapter number two and verse number nine that then said, then said his wife unto him, dost thou still retain thine integrity? Curse God and die. Now that's not exactly a glowing endorsement of Job's wife, but I share that with you to let you know that from all evidence that we discover in this text, Job did things God's way in his home. He just had a single wife. 
He didn't have a bunch of wives that were speaking into his life and that he had to try to please. No, that he had, he had provided for his children, he had provided biblical order in the home. Can I say that doing things God's way is always best? It's always best. It's best compared to doing things the world's way. You see, the world's way is multiple partners. The world's way is divorce. The world's way is heartache trust issues, the list could go on and on and on. And some of you, you're sitting in here, and this has been the narrative or the story of your life, and maybe that's not necessarily due to any fault of your own. Obviously, in a marriage, you have two people. Both of them are certainly going to make choices and decisions, and it's very possible that you sit here today, and some of these words have been the story of your life, and yet these are not things that you would have chosen for yourself. This was not the idea that you had in mind. And it is what it is at this point in time, but I'm just simply saying that biblical order in the home, it looks like what we discover here in our text. And I would say providing your children with biblical order in the home means not just being a man or a woman of integrity and character, but it also means following God's plan for marriage. But notice there's not only the burden to provide biblical order in the home, but there's also the burden to provide material needs in the home. I don't know if you've noticed this, but children are expensive, they're pricey, very, very pricey. I don't know how much it costs to raise a child, but it costs a lot. It costs a great deal of money. And by the way, it's a worthwhile investment. Uh, there's, uh, there, there's nothing, I, I don't know too many parents who would, who would rather spend their money on than their, than their children. The Bible says about Job that he was a man of great substance, and it's a good thing because he was a man of many children as well. The Bible tells us in verse number three that he had 7,000 sheep and 3,000 camels and yokes of oxen and the list goes on and on. And, 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 and that's just given to describe in that day and age, that was how you measured wealth. You didn't measure wealth on 401ks and on bank accounts and how much, how much credit limit you had on a credit card and, and how much money you had in the stock market. Things didn't work that way. Wealth was, was identified by how many cattle you had. It was a mostly agricultural society. Ten children are, can be really expensive, and fortunately, Job's ten children were well cared for due to their father's business sense and his, his acumen. You know, the decision to become a parent or the physical act that could lead to becoming a parent brings with it the responsibility to provide for the material needs of that child for many, many years. No one, listen, no one should even think about becoming a parent or should think about engaging in the physical act that could lead to being a parent until they are married first and then until they're in a place where they can provide for those children. And can I just pause here and just say that this is less about a dollar amount. We touched on this a moment ago. Sometimes people do come, when are you ready to have kids? And some would say, well, I think, you know, you know, when you've got this much money in the bank and when you're no longer renting and you own your own house. And I, I, I think a lot of that is, is really silly. I, I, think, I think that you're ready to become a parent, number one, when you're married, first and foremost, we've touched on that. But number two, number two, this isn't so much about how much money you have in the bank or how many bedrooms you have in your home, but it's more about a willingness to accept the responsibility to provide for a child, even being willing to put that child's needs ahead of one's own needs or wants. 
And I think if you can get to the point where you say, you know what, listen, I'm willing to go without. I'm willing to have less so that my children can have what they need. I think at that point, I think at that point, you're ready. You're ready as you're ever going to be to welcome a child into your home and into your life. And yet the world will tell you, no, you've got to have so many bedrooms and you've got, to, you've got to be settled into a career for so many years and you've got to do what you want to do first and you've got to accomplish all of your goals and all of your dreams and all of your ambitions. And I don't necessarily know that that's what we ought to be looking at. I think we ought to look at our hearts and determine and assess, am I ready? Am I ready to put the needs and the wants of someone else ahead of my own? The truth of the matter is, if you're married, you've already, you've already done that to a certain extent because that's sort of the prerequisite for marriage as well. And so there's the burden to provide, not just biblical order in the home, but material needs in the home. But I think number three, the burden to provide opportunity and responsibility for your children. Look at verse number four. And his sons went and feasted in their houses every one his day and sent and called for their three sisters to eat and to drink with them. You know, children grow up really fast, don't they? Job's children grew up, and it wasn't long before they moved out of his house, and they moved into houses of their own, and, and they presumably had families of their own. Can I say that the goal, listen, the goal is for, is for children to leave father and mother. That's the goal. It's hard. It's challenging. There's, there's a sense of, uh, uh, in which there's a little bit of a mourning of maybe that time period and that season of life. But, but that, is, that is the goal. Make no mistake about it. The Bible is clear that therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother. There ought to be an element in which we're all raising our children, not for the here and now, but we're raising our children for that someday in which our children will, will, in some respects, they'll bid farewell to us. Not a permanent farewell or a, a, a goodbye that I'll never see you again, but, but they'll bid farewell to us to begin a, a family and a life of their own. I love, I love what's said here. The Bible says that his sons went and feasted in their houses. Some of you, some of you, can, can I get an amen? You're looking forward to the day when your children go and feast in their own house, right? Uh, you know, my... I grew up in a home with, with, with two other brothers. There were three of us boys. And, and I can remember my, my dad and my mom's favorite line was about us, that we, we were good at eating them out of house and home. And uh, we, we did do that. That was, that was what we did. That was our calling in life at that point in time, I suppose. And there still are days in which, you know, we, we end up at mom and dad's house. But by and large, most of my feasts, and I'm doing some feasting, as you can tell, most of my feasts take place in my own home nowadays. That's, that's the goal. That's the idea. And I have to think that, that, that Job was grateful for that. Because here's what it said. It said about his children, it said about them that they were people of responsibility. They were, at that point, they were able to provide for themselves. And they were no longer eating, his, eating, eating food from his table, but they were providing for their own needs. And I just want you to know that in order, in order for your children to get to that point, you've got to provide them, listen, with opportunities to grow and to develop, uh, to, to, to go out and to work a job so that they can get used to beginning to pay some of their own bills because the day is coming in which that will be the requirement. The day is coming in which you're going to have to look at them and say, it's time for you to go feast at your own place, you know. It's time for you to to get your own place. I've given you opportunities to succeed. And now it's time for you to bear up under that responsibility and to live a life of your own. So we think about parenting burdens. We think about the burden to provide. Number two, I must move very quickly. Number two, the burden of unity. 
I'm talking about the burden of family unity that's found, I believe, in this text. You know, I've observed family life for many years. Uh, obviously, the life of my own family and, and the lives of, of, of many of the families here in our church. And can I say that there's hardly a greater joy from my perspective than family unity. And can I also say that there's hardly a greater heartache than family conflict. And as I was reading this text, I thought to myself, what joy this must have brought to Job and his wife to read and to know what was happening in verse number four. The Bible indicates that, that Job's adult children with families and houses and lives of their own, were still getting together regularly. I I don't know how often, but they were still getting together regularly to enjoy a meal with one another. They still sought one another's company regularly. And how this must have rejoiced the heart of their parents. To know, to know that my seven sons and my three daughters and perhaps their spouses and their children are meeting on a regular basis to enjoy one another's company, to share a meal with one another. Those of you that have been around long enough, you know that this is not always the case. And you know that this doesn't always happen. Can I speak for just a moment on maybe what is your present reality? Your present reality may may today be that if you still have children in your home, you might wonder if this is ever going to be accomplished. Family unity? Are you kidding me? In my home, we're fighting over socks. We're fighting over who's going to sit where at the dinner table. Who's going to have the the last piece of candy? Who's going to sit in the front seat of the car? These are, these are, and, and, and we could sit here and chuckle, but the truth of the matter is I was fighting with my brothers about the same things. And, and likely you were fighting with your siblings about the same things. What I'm saying is, is that if you're, if you're here today and you have children, let's say under the age of like 18, and maybe, maybe that's even being a little generous, but you have children under the age of 18 and you're all still living in the same home, likely your present reality is one of family conflict. And, and we haven't even touched on the fact that if you've got if you've got sons and daughters sharing the same room, it is World War III. It, you know, it, it's one thing to dwell into the same home. It's another thing to dwell into the same room. And uh, it can get ugly in a hurry. And that may be your present reality. You know, there's something about living under the same roof in close quarters that often highlights the worst and most annoying elements in other people. Have you ever noticed that? Those things just seem to be magnified uh, in, a, in a greater way whenever we're living under the, the same roof. I would just say this, even husbands and wives who have chosen one another out of all of the people in the world sometimes struggle for unity, don't they? I mean, I mean we, we selected one another. I looked at her and I said, I'm choosing you to live with me for the rest of my life. And if, and if I might have conflict every once in a while with my spouse, don't you suppose, don't you suppose that your children who had no choice in the matter, they had no choice in the fact that they were going to have brothers and sisters and that they were going to have to share a room with them. Don't you suppose that if from time to time you and your spouse don't always see eye to eye, that perhaps maybe you and your children, I should say your children and your other children may not see eye to eye as well either. Your present reality, therefore, is marked by competition, immaturity, hormones, 
sinful hearts and habits, selfishness, pride, the list could go on and on. Sometimes as parents, our present reality of rivalry and conflict is due to decisions we make without the wisdom and leading of the Spirit of God. In other words, sometimes our present reality isn't so much because our children, it's maybe because we've made some really poor choices in our lives. We've done some things without the Holy Spirit's leading. The Bible still says in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse number 18 that be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Ephesians 6, 4 says, You fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. You know, your present reality may be one of conflict, but can I say, can I say that if you, can just, if you can just hold on, if you could just hold on, can I, can I say that perhaps there's a glorious future waiting for you? A glorious future of family unity. You know, there's something about me going away to college for the very first time that when I, when I got there, I, I began to realize, you know, I had thought all along my brothers were annoying. And then I got to college and I had roommates. And I realized, boy, they're annoying too. Maybe even, maybe even more annoying than my brother. And then I began to think, now wait a minute. If everywhere I go there's annoying people, maybe I'm the problem. Maybe I'm the annoying one. That, that's a strong possibility. But there was something about leaving my, my home. And, and I can remember coming home for the first time. And I'm almost ashamed to admit this, but I couldn't wait to see my brother. Yeah, don't tell anybody. Certainly do not tell him, please. <laughs> Some of you know him and, and you could read. But I, I, I was looking forward to seeing my brothers. I would, I, I, would, I would call them. Back in those days, we didn't have cell phones. We had pay phones. You that are under the age of 21, come see me afterwards. I could talk to you a little bit about that. But I can remember calling my brother Collect, you know, so he could absorb the bill, you know. So I, I was a poor college student, you know. And hey, man, what's going? Just to talk, just to chat. And I'm just simply saying that what, what six months prior was, was a, a pipe dream, it was something that my parents thought was never going to happen Something, something happened. Something transformed. There was something about the distance, something about those miles that suddenly made me want to be in the company of my siblings, of my brothers. And even to this day, they're scattered just a little bit. But whenever we're all together, man, we want to all be together. We want to do things together. Even just sitting around and talking and fellowshipping. And I'm just simply saying, some of you are sitting here and the present reality is conflict and division and chaos and strife. But if you'll just hold on a little bit longer, perhaps God will give you a glorious future in which there's family unity where your children want to be together. Can I say that There'll be many things that impact this. Who they marry is going to impact this. And I would just say that if you're raising children today, one of the things you ought to be praying for on a regular basis is, Lord, help my children to marry well. God, would you you help them to wait on you and to trust in you for who their spouse is going to be? Who their friends are will, will play a great role in all of this. Again, perhaps you, some of you have lived long enough to see this glorious future become a reality. Can I say praise and thank God for this? Because listen, not every family enjoys this. There's a lot of families in which there's much tension and estrangement and conflict. And those children are grown and and they're old enough to, to recognize how that must hurt the heart of their parents and yet they still continue in that way. And can I say that if that's you today, if you're sitting here and you look at your family and you say, you know, the present reality is, is not the glorious future. In other words, we should be at that glorious future now, but we're not there yet. Maybe we'll never get there. 
my counsel to you would be to pray faithfully that God would change hearts so that you can enjoy a glorious future of family unity. Lastly and finally, and I, I must conclude here, number three, there's the burden of spiritual wellness. There's a burden to provide. It's a parenting burden. There's a burden of unity that our, our children, that our family might sit at the same table and might love one another and be at peace with one another. But can I say finally, I believe that we discover in verse number five, the burden of spiritual wellness. You know, we sing, it is well with my soul. And I hope that it is, but, but to become a parent adds an additional burden, doesn't it? And that is this, is it well with your child's soul? Clearly, Job was obsessed with the spiritual wellness of his children. Sadly, sadly today, many parents obsess over wellness in every area but spiritual. You know, lots of parents that are obsessed with the wellness of their son on the baseball diamond. The wellness of their daughter in the classroom. The wellness of their children in the, in the playground with the friends and making sure that they have enough friends and everybody's getting along well and, and, and no one is being left out. And I, I'm, I'm all for that. I, I, think, I think we ought to teach our children how to be kind. And I, but but, but there's, there's a lot of parents that, that are not really all that interested in the spiritual wellness of their children. Job wasn't like that. Reminds me of a story that I heard just this week. One of our men was sharing this story with me. There's a story of some wealthy parents who who God had just given them one daughter. And they had done everything in their power to give that little girl everything that she possibly could want or could need. As she began to grow, and I believe she became a young adult, she was diagnosed with a dreadful disease. Her father sat down with her doctors and her physicians and he instructed them, do whatever is necessary. Money is no object. I'm not poor, I've got what I need, and if there's a test that she needs, you run the test, I will pay for it. If there's a surgery that she needs, you give her the surgery, I will take care of it. If there's a doctor that you need to fly in to help her, you do that, I'll take care of it. Finally, the doctor drew the strength and the courage to sit the man down and his wife and tell them, really, there's nothing that we can do. There's no amount of money that can spare your daughter what she has is terminal. The man and his wife, of course, were shaken and devastated by this news. And they thought to themselves, how are we going to break this to our daughter? They made their way to her room there at the hospital, and they entered the room, and it was obvious when they did that she had already been given this news as well. To which she looked at her mom and dad, and she said, you gave me everything I needed, and you taught me how to live and then she looked at him and she said, but you never taught me how to die. Can I just be real honest with you, moms and dads, parents? One of the greatest burdens that you ought to carry with you as a, as a parent, as a mother, and as a father is to teach your children how to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Don't just teach them how to live, but teach them how they can die with confidence and with hope and with peace. Not, not that we're eager to die, not that we're looking forward to it, not that we want it to have it happen. No, no, that's not what I'm saying. But to know that when it is our time to go, that we're ready. Notice Job's dedication. The Bible says he rose up early. I believe our children should see us rise up early to seek God and to walk with him. In our quest to discipline our children, they should know that we can and we will discipline ourselves too. 
He offered burnt offerings for them all. With ten children, this must have been a considerable sacrifice of Job's time and resources. To him, this was a small price to pay, considering the burden that his children might enjoy spiritual wellness. But can I just tell you that a lot of what Job was doing was, do, was being done because he, he didn't have a complete written revelation of God to him. We understand that, listen, I, I can't save my children. I can't just because I'm a Christian doesn't mean my children are going to be Christian. Job was working diligently to try to, to, try to do everything that he could to, to bring his children to a place of spiritual wellness. But the bottom line is that you and I can ever secure anyone's spiritual wellness by our own efforts. It's impossible. The gospel, which is the good news, that's the key to spiritual wellness. To be saved, one must believe the gospel. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 15, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also you received, and wherein you stand, by which also ye are saved. Those who have believed the gospel are transformed. This transformation should result in a gospel life and a gospel home. Things like church attendance and prayer and teaching and forgiving and mentoring are all equated with gospel living. Those whose home is characterized by these will find a spiritually healthy home which will often result in spiritually well children, which should be the burden for everyone who knows Christ as their Savior. We see Job's dedication. We see his consistency. Look at the end of verse 5. It says, thus did Job continually. I'm afraid one of the key reasons why our children fail to continue in the gospel is because of our lack of consistency. Job was always the same. During seasons of success and seasons of loss, of which we read about in Job 1 and verse 20 and 2 and verse number 10, where the burdens of life were crushing him and yet he refused, he refused to quit worshiping God. We do great damage to our children in our home and our hope for them to enjoy spiritual wellness when we live one way in front of certain people and we live a different way in front of others. The reason, listen, the reason is because our children are experts at identifying hypocrisy. And we can get real good at smiling in church while grumbling, complaining, and tearing everything and everyone down in the car on the way home. Meanwhile, there's some little children sitting in the back seat that are watching all of it. And they're saying, if this is what it's all about, I want no part of it whatsoever. May God help us to be real, to be consistent. Are you carrying some of these parenting burdens this morning? Perhaps the burden to provide is weighing you down. Give this to the Lord. Determine to provide biblical order in the home and be willing to sacrifice your own needs and wants for the needs of your children. You may be struggling with the burden of unity, feeling like my family, my children are never going to get along. They're never gonna, there's never going to be peace. We're never going to enjoy a holiday or a special time together as a family. Give this to the Lord as well and allow him to do a reviving and a redemptive work in your family. The burden of spiritual wellness is a heavy one. I think it's perhaps the heaviest. Some of you are so weighed down with the thought that your children don't know Christ. Your children, your grandchildren know nothing of Jesus. Give this burden to the Lord. Live out consistently the gospel. And pray and ask the Lord to do a great work.